Welcome to Mysteries to Die For and this toe tag. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is normally a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of a mystery, murder, and mayhem. Today is a bonus episode that we call a toe tag. It's the first chapter from a fresh release in the mystery, crime, and thriller genre. Today's featured release is Girl on Trial by Kathleen Fine. All right, we are going to jump right into chapter one here. Chapter one, trial day, January 7th, 2019. The alarm on Emily's phone chimed just as Sophie whispered in her ear, wake up, Emily, wake up. She opened her eyes widely, her body covered in sweat, her sheets soaked yet again. Time to wake up. She heard Sophie's whisper get farther away, humming distantly from somewhere in her dreams, from somewhere in her nightmares. As she turned off the alarm, she tried to overlook the numerous text messages that surfaced from numbers she didn't recognize. Die, killer. You'll pay in hell for what you did. Murderer. How can people I don't even know want me dead? With shaky hands, she deleted the text as a CNN report popped up on her screen, updating her on the trial of the year that was beginning that day. CNN breaking news. The biggest trial of the year begins today, January 7, 2019. Emily Keller, also known by the media as Keller the Killer, is accused of causing the deaths of a family of four, two of them small children. Only 16 years old, Emily is one of the youngest females to be accused of a crime so heinous. Emily buried her face in her pillow, taking a deep breath. She tried to hold back the habitual tears that were creeping out of the corner of her eyes. I have to be strong today. No crying, she told herself as she rubbed her temples slowly. I need to put on my protective armor or I'll never make it through today alive. She reached under her mattress, grabbed an orange pill bottle, and gave it a shake. The rattling sound of tablets comforted her. She poured two pills into her clammy palm and placed them gently on her tongue. Protective armor. Emily? Her brother, Nate, quietly inched open the bedroom door. You awake? It's time to get ready for court. Without looking up at him, she nodded as she rolled out of the bed, trying not to think about how wrong the prosecution had the facts and how she could be sent to prison because of it. As she attempted to walk toward the door, her ankle monitor snagged on her lavender bed sheet. She yanked off the sheet in frustration and dragged her feet to the bathroom to prepare for her first day of her new life. Debbie and Nate were already waiting for her in Debbie's rumbling Toyota Camry when she stepped out of the trailer. It's your turn for shotgun. Emily opened the door to the back seat where Nate had already buckled in. You can take it today, he muttered, avoiding a high pact. I don't need pity shotgun just because I'm on trial for murder, Nate. Emily replied curtly as she reluctantly sat down in the front seat. As she buckled her seatbelt, she already regretted scolding Nate for doing something kind. I'll apologize to him later, she told herself. Nate had been up with her till three o'clock that morning, listening to her cry and consoling her. I don't deserve him, she thought, squeezing her eyes shut. She rolled down her window and took a deep breath of fresh morning air as her mom lit a Virginia Slim, her hands trembling. Morning vodka shot hasn't kicked in yet, Emily muttered under her breath as she turned on the radio. Or maybe one shot doesn't cut it anymore, Emily thought. 
What hasn't kicked in? Debbie asked as she ashed her cigarette into the empty Coke can, oblivious to Emily's disrespectful comment. Coffee hasn't kicked in yet, Emily corrected herself as she investigated her face in the cracked side mirror of the car. The face staring back at Emily was swollen from weeks of nonstop crying. Although she put on some of her mom's waterproof mascara, she still looked like something had run over her with a truck. You're so repulsive, she thought, as she tried to comb her drab chestnut hair with her fingers, squinting at her image through the cracked glass. She wanted to disappear, sink down into the seat of the car and disappear forever. As she pinched her upper cheekbones to give her face some color, she glanced at Nate through the corner of the broken mirror, hoping he couldn't tell she was staring at him through the mosaic lens. Since he had headphones in his ears, she assumed he was listening to a news podcast about the trial. The expression on his face looked like it was straining to stay calm, but she could read his emotions no matter how hard he tried to hide them. When you shared a womb with someone, you knew everything they were feeling. There was actually supposed to be three of them. Her dad had left when he found out Debbie was pregnant with triplets. He had said that since he didn't want one baby, he definitely didn't want three. Emily used to think sometimes how different her life would have been if her other brother hadn't died at birth. Maybe he would have punched Tom Swanson for dumping her two years ago since Nate didn't do a thing about it. Maybe he'd have taught Emily to throw a football since Nate was anti-athletics. Maybe he could have stopped Emily before she lost herself. Maybe he could have stopped this whole situation. Maybe no one would have died. Valerie told us to meet her around back when I spoke to, th to her on the phone last night, Emily directed her mom as they pulled up to the courthouse. Debbie nodded as she navigated her ancient car around to the back of the building, avoiding the crowd hovering at the entrance. Shit, look at all the people, Nate announced as he stared at the crowd and cameras surrounding the front of the building. No one seemed to notice their rickety car escape past the swell to the rear parking lot. Maybe they were expecting some sort of official-looking black SUV like you see in crime movies, and not our pathetic piece of tin, Emily speculated, thinking about how some seniors at her school owned nicer cars than her mom's. She peeked down at her gray dress and nervously picked off little limp balls as her mom parked the car. You look fine, Em, Debbie insisted as she opened a mini bottle of vodka from her purse and took a swig. That dress looks lovely on you. Debbie had spent her tip money to buy Emmy new thrift store clothes for the trial. Emily was now pulling at the scene at the edge of the dress, making it unravel. As she waited for her mom to finish her shot, she felt around for the phone in her purse to make sure it was turned off. She turned it on later that night once her mom and Nate were sleeping so she could read the texts and news in privacy. That way, if she cried, no one would see her. Strong people don't cry, she told herself. You need a pill? Debbie asked as she fumbled through the large purse on her lap. The Valium Emily had taken that morning was beginning to set in, and she was starting to feel unreasonably calm. I'm good, although I'll need another one soon, she thought. It hurt too much to live in reality. Emily's lawyer, Valerie Anderson, was standing at the back entrance of the building, propping open the heavy metal door with her bright red heel. As Emily stepped out of the car, Valerie waved her hands frantically. Quick, before they catch on that you're back here, she shrieked as she lifted her long, hot pink nails to her mouth. We better hurry. 
Debbie grabbed Nate's and Emily's hands, tugging them toward Valerie. Wait, Emily urged as she struggled to keep up with her petite mom's gait. Without warning, her black heel wobbled to the side and she stumbled, falling hard onto the concrete. Before she had the chance to assess the damage to her knees, Nate dropped his mom's hands, grabbed Emily by the arm, and quickly escorted her to the door. As they approached Valerie, all eyes looked to the blood running down Emily's knees. Emily was surprised the wound stung so badly, even though the rest of her felt numb. We'll have to find some band-aids ASAP before we converse. Valerie's heels echoed in the hallway as she led them to their room. Emily slouched over even more than she had been as she followed Valerie, spying the name Keller stuck to a metal door with a yellow post-it. As they stepped inside, the heavy door slammed behind them with a loud thud. I'm going to give you chapter two for this one also. Chapter two, past, September 4th, 2018. Emily awoke in the early morning darkness with her heart filled with vivacity. The goosebumps on her skin felt like bubbles forming in the crisp can of newly opened Diet Coke, her favorite drink. The day brought so many promises. It was a new school year. She could be someone brand new. She peeked out of the modest window above her bed. The moon was still visible, the thick scar in the black sea above her, illuminating the room in an opaque glow. She glanced over at Nate, who was snoring loudly on the other side of the cramped bedroom. She noticed he had drool dripping down one side of his chin, a puddle of spit forming on his gray bedsheet. How can he sleep so soundly before the first day of school, she wondered. Quietly, Emily got on her hands and knees and felt for the vision board she'd made the night before, after Nate had fallen asleep. She laid the board out on her lavender bread spread, admiring the cutout faces of Taylor Swift, Kylie Jenner, and Gigi Hadid. One day, I'll be like you, she whispered to the women as she rubbed her hands along the words she taped below their faces. Courage, believe, friendship, happiness, strength, worthy, disciplined, strong, beautiful. She closed her eyes tightly, her bones aching with longing. I'm gonna be popular, I'm gonna be pretty, I'm gonna be happy. Manifest, manifest, manifest. Placing the vision board back under her bed, she tiptoed to the door and stepped into the hallway. As she marched past her mom's room toward the bathroom, she peeked her head in and looked at Debbie's simple space. She resented that her mom had never hung any pictures on the walls or tried to make her room look presentable. At least try, Emily had thought. Try to be normal like everyone else's moms. But no one's ever in here but me. Why would I fancy it all up? Debbie had replied over the summer when Emily asked if she wanted to shop for decorations with her at the Goodwill. Emily hadn't wanted to say to her mom that plenty of people went into her room, plenty of men. But then again, the men that go in there are probably too drunk to notice her decor, Emily had thought. Emily surveyed her mom sleeping soundly, her leg kicked out from under the blanket, dangling half off the bed. Usually, by peeking in like this, Emily could tell how intoxicated her mom had gotten the night before. If Debbie had all of her clothes on and didn't get in her sheets, she'd gotten drunk. If she didn't come home at all or there was a strange man in the bed, she'd gotten exceptionally drunk. If she had on her nightshirt and looked like she'd washed her face, and she'd probably only had a couple of drinks. This morning was the latter. 
locking herself in the bathroom, Emily showered, then followed a YouTube tutorial on how to perfectly contour bronzer onto her cheekbones. She carefully put on the outfit she picked out weeks before, faded jeans, a tight white t-shirt, and Vans. Cool in a I-didn't-try-too-hard sort of way. Appraising her reflection in the mirror, her big muddy eyes smudged with makeup, she decided that she'd done the best she could with what God had given her. She wasn't pretty, but she wasn't ugly. And didn't that count for something? She read a meme once that said if you smiled every, at yourself every time you looked in the mirror, you instinctively gave yourself more confidence. She couldn't quite remember when she lost her confidence, but she seemed to have woken up one day and it was gone. It was replaced with pimples, drab hair, insecurity, and lanky limbs. She stared at the gloomy reflection and forced a smile back so hard that her cheeks hurt. I need all the confidence I can get, she thought to herself. As she stepped into the kitchen, she opened the bare fridge, scanning its scarce contents. Expired milk, mustard, baking soda, and a takeaway container. She grabbed the styrofoam container and peeked inside to see what leftovers her mom had brought home. A cheesesteak sub and fries. After every night shift, Debbie brought home whatever leftovers the cook had given her from dinner service. No doubt because she slept with them a few times, so Emily always had breakfast, even if it was greasy fried leftovers. Grabbing a frying pan, she added some oil and a handful of french fries from the container, tossing them into the steaming pan. When they started sizzling, she threw in some cheesesteak bits, breaking up the meat with the spatula. Once it all cooked, she scooped the concoction onto a paper plate and devoured the breakfast in less than a minute. Satisfied, she tossed her plate in the trash can and placed the pan in the sink to be washed after school. Sometimes she daydreamed of loading an enormous stainless steel dishwasher, pressing the start button with no worries in the world, relaxing as her dishes were cleaned without her. One day, she thought. She stuck a mug of water into the microwave for two minutes and then poured it into her handy reusable Starbucks coffee cup that she'd gotten for Christmas from the next door neighbor, Miss Jelly. Scooping some instant coffee into the cup, she stirred it quickly before snapping on the lid. Checking the time, she grabbed her backpack, already pre-packed for the day, and peeked into the mirror one last time, forcing a smile. Confidence, she thought to herself as she headed out to the pit. The pit was a central meeting area in the middle of the trailer park, consisting of some benches, a swing set, and a grill. Nate and Emily, along with most of the teenagers in the neighborhood, hung out there after school and on weekends. As Emily strolled past their community sign that read, Blue Crab Cottages, she thought about how the name made the place sound charming. In reality, the only crabs she'd heard about in the neighborhood were rumors of who gave who STDs. As she approached the pit, the sun began to creep up, making for the perfect photo op. She set her steaming hot coffee cup on the bench facing the sun and placed her backpack next to it before snapping a photo. Using her editing skills, she blurred three trailer parks. She blurred three trailers out so just the sun, her backpack, and her Starbucks cup were in view, adding the rise filter to the photo. She added the caption, Morning latte and sunrise, soaking up the last morning of summer, and posted it on her page. It was amazing what some filters and camera angles could do to make her life look more glamorous. Checking the time again, she hurriedly grabbed her bag and coffee cup and headed back to make sure that Nate was up on time. She didn't want to miss the bus on the first day of junior year. 
As Emily neared her trailer, she noticed Miss Jelly sitting on her front porch rocking chair, wearing a fluffy purple raven's robe and pink slippers. She was adjusting a long silver clip that tightly held up her curlers against her stark white hair. Emily smiled, impressed how Miss Jelly had no shame in letting whoever walked by see her dressed in her nightclothes. Takes your breath away, doesn't it? Miss Jelly motioned, staring over Emily's shoulder. What does? Emily turned around to see what Miss Jelly was pointing at. Why, the sunrise, hun. Weren't you over there looking at the sunrise? She gestured back toward the pit. Oh, Emily faltered, realizing she hadn't had the chance to actually get a good look at the sun. She turned around and peered at the yellow yoke flirting its way up the horizon. It's beautiful, she agreed, looking back toward her neighbor. It's your first day of school this morning, right, hun? Miss Jelly took a sip of coffee from an oversized mug with the word mom printed across it. Why does Miss Jelly have a mug that says mom when she's never had any kids? Emily wondered. Yep, first day. Thinking about the possibilities of the day made her heart warm up like Miss Jelly's hot coffee. She was going to make a new friend if it killed her. Well, good luck, sweetheart. Why don't you stop by after school and have some carrot cake that I baked last night? I used purple carrots from my garden this time, so it has a lavender hue to it. You wouldn't believe it. Emily smiled at Miss Jelly's enthusiasm for trivial, trivial things in life like purple carrots. Sure, I love to, she said, happy to appease her. Miss Jelly was the grandmother she never had. Growing up, Miss Jelly babysat for Nate and her whenever their mom worked, and sometimes when their mom didn't come home at night, they'd creep over to Miss Jelly's house and sleep on her couch. She always left blankets and pillows out in case they ended up coming over. Her trailer was their sanctuary. As Emily opened the door to her own trailer and stepped inside, she heard the shower running and then turn off. Nate stepped out of the bathroom a minute later, wearing a towel and a gold face mask. Thanks for using all the hot water, he teased. As he passed her, Emily handed him the Starbucks coffee cup and he took a step. I still don't understand why you make coffee for yourself just for your stupid Instagram pics when you don't even like it. You should be grateful. You get coffee made for you every day, she teased back. I got 20 new friend requests last week from last week's post where I was posing in my workout clothes and holding that coffee. The one where you captioned it saying you'd gone out for a hike and blurred out the trailers? Yeah, she boasted. She'd done some research over the summer on editing photos and had perfected her skills. Guess your followers don't need to know you've never worked out a day in your life then, huh? He said. But wouldn't you rather make real friends than fake insta-friends? That's the goal, she mumbled under her breath. What? He asked. Where did you get the money to buy that face mask? She changed the subject, wishing she'd thought of doing one herself. He smirked at her before scurrying toward their bedroom. He walked past their mom's room, then hurried back to Emily. What's her status this morning, he whispered, then pressed his lips together firmly. Emily's face grew serious. Seems okay. Looks like she washed her face. Nate nodded, running his hand through his wet hair, and then headed back to their room. We have to leave here in ten minutes, so you better hurry up, she shouted, hoping she was loud enough so that he would hear her. She sat down on their pilled tan couch that they bought off of Craigslist and scrolled through her Instagram feed. She noticed a couple hearts popping up on her post that morning. Five likes so far. Manifest. 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 
Nate stepped out of the bedroom exactly five minutes later, dressed in jeans and a play grace shirt. How can he look so good in five minutes? Emily marveled at his remarkable handsome face, tan skin, hazel eyes, and messy tawny hair. She wished she had inherited just one of those beautiful features that he had. It wasn't fair that they were twins and yet looked so different. The girls will go gaga over you today. Not that you'll notice, Emily thought before she snatched her backpack and tossed him his. Let's get this show on the row, he exclaimed as he grabbed his coffee and draped his arm around her shoulder. My first day of 11th grade is going to be epic. I can feel it. Emily manifested as they stepped out the door and headed toward the bus. All right, so there you have the first two chapters of Girl on Trial by Kathleen Fine. The Girl on Trial was released from CanCat Books and is promoted by Partners in Crime Tours and is available from Amazon and other book retailers. Links are in the show notes. So let's find out a little bit about our author. Kathleen Fine received her master's in reading education from Towson University and bachelor's in elementary education from the University of Maryland, College Park. She is a member of the Maryland Writers Association, International Thriller Writers, and Authors Guild. When she's not writing and selling real estate, she enjoys spending time with her family, traveling to the Outer Banks, and of course, reading anything she can get her hands on. She currently lives in Baltimore, Maryland with her husband, three children, and Sussex Spaniel. Her short stories have been published in Litro Magazine, Pen in Hand, the Maryland Writers Association Anthology, and the Indignore Playhouse Anthology. Girl on Trial is her debut novel. All right, so here is my review. So Girl on Trial, uh, depending where you're looking, it's actually listed in a couple different genres. The way I received it was as a YA contemporary mystery thriller. Uh, 16-year-old Emily Keller, who you just met, has one goal her junior year of high school, to fit in. But making friends and being popular takes Emily down a dangerous path of drinking, pills, and sex. Now the family she babysat for is dead, and Emily is accused of leaving the stove on, causing carbon monoxide poisoning. Bottom line, Girl on Trial is for you if you like legal suspense coupled with interpersonal drama. Okay, so let's talk about the strengths of the story. So author Kathleen Fine took a rare approach to the storytelling, alternating between the jury trial and the events of the prior year. So you just heard the very start of the jury trial, and you also heard the very uh, start of Emily's first day of her junior year. While other stories may alternate between past and future, the girl on trial really does a nice job of meticulously walking through the trial uh, back and forth and making you feel that fear and anxiety along with Emily. So with this approach, we have two storylines running simultaneously, and they have two very different feels. In the past story, we get to know Emily as a person and see the influence of those closest to her, her twin brother, her friends, her mother, the influence that they have on her. This isn't a story of privilege, but of a smart, determined daughter of a single mom who is an alcoholic. Reading with an adult eye, we see the precipice that Emily is walking along long before she does. In if the past story is personal, then the trial story feels professional. The lawyer does the talking. Uh, Emily has to listen to testimony that really cuts down who she is. Some are lies, some aren't, but she has to hold herself in that impossible combination of aloof but humble. The contrast between the two storylines with that feel, it's, it's very nicely done. So where does the story fall short of ideal? 
Well, as I said, Girl on Trial is listed in different genres depending where you look. Um, and it's legit because it's hard to pit down on genre. said it was listed for me as a young adult mystery thriller. And I would argue that it's neither a mystery nor a thriller. So it's not a mystery in that there's not a crime being investigated and none of the characters are working to uncover information to resolve the situation. It's not a thriller because it lacks that fast pacing and that physicality and the risk of mortal danger to the hero. Emily definitely is in danger of incarceration, but she's not in mortal danger. So when you kind of look at the classic definition of mysteries and thrillers, you know, not a lot of boxes are checked. However, if you classify it as a suspense, that's when you really start checking the boxes. The pacing is methodical. The plotting through the school semester and the trial it really drives the tension psychologically. And you find yourself just waiting for the other shoe to fall. So on the suspense side, you know, it really does excel. Some meter, some meters, <laughs> some readers may, or some maters re, find that the time element is challenging, as I did. The story alternates between the trial which is present and the school year which is past. You've heard a little bit of that just now. Inside each of those, though, are passage where Emily is remembering other events from times in her childhood. For myself, uh, for the way I read, I did have trouble keeping the timing straight. In the end, I don't felt like I didn't feel like it detracted from a compelling leading character and a story that may be more common than we want to believe. So if you're one of those readers who, when people say, what do you read? And you say, I read everything, um, this book should really appeal to you. Uh, for a crossover reader or for somebody who's in the mood for something a little different, pick up Girl on Trial and give it a try. Like it, love it, write a review. <laughs> write a review. You know, we get to the end of these and it's like my mouth forgets to talk. Forgets how to talk, also forgets words. Um, read Girl on Trial, write a review, help other people find this very powerful story. So Partners in Crime is promoting it. Partners in Crime Tours represents a network of 300 plus bloggers offering tailor-made virtual book tours and marketing options for crime mystery and thriller writers from around the world. Founded in 2011, PICT offers virtual book tour services for new established and best-selling authors. They pride themselves on tailored packages with a personal touch from the tour coordinators. I can attest to Gina and her team, they do an incredible job. For more information, check out their website, partnersincrimetours.com. The link is in the show notes. Join us next week for Mysteries to Die For Season 6, Episode 9, The Odd Arrival of Jack in the Box by Susan Wingate, where a very twisted version of a jack-in-the-box is our featured jack. With that, I'll turn to my jack and say, all right, honey, take us out. <laughs>